Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I am Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed. You can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, pop culture, and so much more. You can also catch us on our uh, weekly radio show, BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. We put the simulcast up on the page each Friday when we have a segment, and we have a really good one coming for you this week. We also have our quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine. We are working on the new issues, so about a week or so until that one is done. And, of course, you can catch some of our old game reviews on canalcentral.com, keyword skewed, uh, various sites, and, of course, our show that you're hearing now is also carried on Sci-Fi Radio, who also carry several of our reviews. Now, Michael is off uh, getting some movies covered tonight. Uh, Joseph is getting ready to uh, do some stuff. And uh, so that's Justin and I are going to be uh, going through some of the big news of the week. Real quick, I wanted to mention a nice product I've uh, been playing around with. I just got this the other day. But it is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Tarot Deck and Guidebook. So if you're into uh, Tarot Deck and Guidebook, these are really well made. They're very sturdy. They've got some fantastic artwork on them. And it is in keeping with, you may remember a few months back, I believe around the holidays, we talked about the uh, Elder Scrolls Guidebook and... Uh, tarot cards so similar idea but this is really good and if you are a fan of buffy the vampire slayer you definitely want to uh, check this out because this is definitely not something to miss so justin we had a what started off as a pretty quiet week so let's uh, go into what was going on last weekend uh we had WonderCon and pax east so First off, uh, as expected, PAX East had a lot of indie games. Um, you know, if you're into that, very exciting, but not uh, a ton of AAA games driving things. Uh, but there were some really interesting things. We had a Final Fantasy 16 panel that got a lot of people really excited about it. And then, uh, surprisingly, first day of the show, we got an email saying, oh, by the way, uh, this is available on the floor. And you can go see it and play it. And that's Aliens Dark Descent. And I don't know if you've had a look at it, uh, but uh, what do you think based on the gameplay that you've seen? Yeah, so I'm actually pleasantly very surprised with the direction of this game. Um, so when they initially showed uh, some footage of this game and announced it, it really looked kind of like a co-op, you know, top-down, isometric kind of co-op shooter. Um vibe and that would be cool you know i'm i'm all for more cool uh good co-op games but we you know we already do have a nice aliens co-op shooter in the um in the form of aliens um um fire team fire team jesus <laughs> fire team elite. yeah 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 fire team elite um so this you know i was kind of expecting another co-op shooter but it seems like they're kind of going in a different direction so I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. They're kind of going in a more like, it's like a tactical, more strategy kind of game. So there aren't really a ton of these, um, but uh, I guess the the one that the game that it reminds me the most of is kind of like Brothers in Arms, I guess, a little bit, where you're kind of controlling a full squad of uh, characters and you have to kind of think very tactically um, about uh, their placement. You know, it, I guess another 
uh, analogy would be something akin to XCOM, but without the turn base. It's like a live or a real time XCOM where um, it seems like there's a lot more emphasis on you know where you place your your squad mates, the orders you give them, um, you know their weapon loadouts, and kind of like making very um, kind of tactical decisions um, about the situation that you're in. So I, I actually like that. I think that adds a ton of depth and and makes it more unique than just you know you and your buddies just running down corridors, uh, gunning the aliens down, which w- would be great in and of itself. But um, I'm actually really digging this direction they're going with it. Uh, they showed a, a cinematic trailer as well that um you know i i kind of i really like the the art style that they're they're going with um you know it's not just you know straight out of the movies they they kind of have a unique uh look to how they um they're presenting the alien universe so i'm i'm really looking forward to this now and uh i'm uh, eagerly awaiting to see some more yeah it's not going to be too long until we get to see it and i think uh, people getting to play it was really unexpected because they had a trailer the day before then boom i mean literally it was very odd there were no pre-convention bookings it was morning of the show oh by the way we're here on on the uh, site yeah, i mean on location it's playable send us an email if you want and we immediately sent some crew over and were able to get them in so you know really interesting very good news on that uh some other game news i wanted to mention really quick just some stuff ghostbuster vr academy launches now i don't know if you've seen this just i believe these are the guys who did uh hollowgate they've done some interactive things i uh had uh i think i had done one of those uh things that they had at um wondercon a few years ago and this is like four player vr interactive experiences where you go around and you uh you know you basically you shoot as a squad uh, standing and stuff and walk around. And so it was a pretty cool thing. Um, one of the things that they also uh, had done is they've done a uh, Ghostbusters game and they've got them in various locations uh, around the country. So it's pretty interesting. I know some people have been complaining when I put the news out saying that, well, this is great, but there's not any near me. But, um, you know, the fact is they at least have something out there that people can look forward to. And I thought that's pretty cool. If you want to go around and, you know, blast the, um, what do you call it? If you want to blast the Stay Puft Marshmallow guy, you can do that. And I think it's just another example of VR is starting to uh, really have a comeback with the PSVR 2. And they are a German company, by by the way. And they, um, you know, the fact that, Ghostbusters, where they're filming the new sequel, we apparently have an animated thing in the works, and then on top of it, um, how would you call it? You basically are getting some li- a really nice licensed tie-in here. So, uh, Justin, what do you what do you make of this? No, I think you know I haven't seen a lot. Uh, I didn't uh, follow this particular story, but uh, I it's a uh, it's a really neat idea, and I, I like the interactivity that they're kind of going for. Yeah, according to this, there's uh, a place here in Arizona. We have one, uh, there's a couple of them, one in uh, Mesa and one in Surprise. But the question is whether or not, um, you know, they have the um, Ghostbusters one, who knows. But you can definitely go to their website and find out more because I think that would be something to really check out. Another thing I wanted to mention is with the Dungeons Dragons movie coming out, getting very good reviews, 
there are eight classic Dungeons and Dragons games getting released 25 years later. And if that wasn't retro enough for you, Atari, um, in partnership with another company, has got this VR game where you basically go back to the classic days and have to go in and fix the old classic games from inside. Uh, but Atari is going to be going into the vaults and bringing out some hard-to-find items. So we heard uh, 100 Atari VCS Collector's Edition base units and very small quantities of the very first game released. 45 limited edition three-game Atari XP cartridge sets at $449.99 each. 31 standard edition three-game Atari XP cartridge sets at $149.99 each and 100 Atari VCS Collector's Editions at $299.99. And they said, you know, this is uh, base unit only, controllers sold separately, but they are mouse and keyboard compatible. So that is, uh, I think it's some interesting news, actually. What do you make of that? Yeah, no, I think that's a good deal. Um, I think if you're in the market for it, I'd definitely go for it. Yeah, I mean, collectors, people were saying, oh boy, it's a bit expensive, but then at the same time, you know, Atari's on a bit of a renaissance kick right now, and uh, they've been doing a good job with their remastered. We talked a few weeks ago about them getting Berserk and Frenzy and uh, multiple other titles that were not Atari games that they will now be able to do stuff with. So, you know, a lot of really interesting things ahead. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, obviously, was WonderCon. We had that. Over the weekend, Michael and I were there. We did our Indiana Jones panel with Victor and Michael's wife. Had a fairly packed room. Absolutely uh, had a great time. It was a really good way to end our Saturday with that. And then also, we got to meet some really great people uh, from the Indiana Jones Fan Club on Facebook and the California Jones uh, Raiders of the Golden State. If you go to our social pages, you can get a look at us. They have this great shot of all these guys and just some amazing amazing costumes coming up on stage and posing with us. And uh, Justin, I thought you might find this interesting. Apparently they are going to debut Dial of Destiny at the Cannes Film Festival. And apparently the uh, director for the festival came out the other day, said he's seen the film and it's, and it's uh, something special. Oh, really? So, nice. Yeah, very happy to hear that. Uh, so some of the things, we'll just go through really quickly. I know you weren't there, but I obviously want to make sure we report on this, is we had a fantastic talk uh, with um, many of the stars and creatives from, uh, this is a long title, folks, so bear with me on this one, uh, Justice League X RWBY Superheroes and Huntsmen Part 1. So if you want to see a great cross-up between RWBY and the Justice League, that is definitely a pending film you're going to want to uh, check out. We had a interview uh, with the three of the stars, the creator, uh, excuse me, the producer and the writer for Fear of the Walking Dead as they go into their final season. Uh, saw a few of the episodes, but that's under embargo. I can't really talk about that. Caught part of the panel for the new Quantum Leap as they're getting very close to their um, behind the scenes. We had some folks covering Ultrasonic, which is a lot of great uh, composers and talent behind the screen. Um, let's see what else they had. We had some four video with an alien and some great costumes. We had uh, the artist at Slumberland doing stuff. We had uh, Batman the Doom that came to Gotham. 
We had True Lies, the TV show, which was really good. There was also uh, some audio that we've been able to uh, really enjoy from House Broken, the Fox series. One of our people got to speak uh, with uh, the talent behind the show, and he, in this case, it was Will Forte, so that was really um, impressive. And then, of course, we had just so many other things going on. There's a couple things Michael has that he can't really discuss yet because there was something to do with the item that they were promoting. They can't uh, embargo, basically. Uh, Bandai Namco was there and just so much more. We're still several days later uh, trying to wrap our head around. I know uh, Sci-Fi was there with the art and just so much stuff. So that was really good, and it really has us very excited about uh, what's coming ahead with uh, WonderCon and uh, all the opportunities uh, that that is going to present for us to have a look at. But uh, right now, Justin, we have to change gears and talk about something that unfortunately is not looking very good, and that is E3 uh, 2023. So for those of you that aren't aware that uh, earlier in the week, um, Ubisoft, who had committed to taking part in the show and who was, as of now, the biggest name announced, uh, said that they are going to uh, not attend their changing course. Then we heard that Sega and, um, uh, was it Tencent, I think it was, or two other companies dropped out. And then, of course, uh, that led to all kinds of speculation that E3 is not going to happen that they just do not have any guests, even with Repop brought in to produce the show, that without any major guests, it's hard to draw. We've heard that the floor rates are the absolute lowest they've been in ages. Uh, you know, today we had Devolver come out and say they're not going to take part, which, you know, to me, I said, not really a surprise, since they generally do their own thing at the same time. But as the smoke was settling from all of that, news came down that uh, Ubisoft, after they had announced they weren't going to be there, they were going to do their own thing roughly around the same time with the games forward. Now they've announced that they're going to be part of the rival Summer Game Fest. So, Justin, what do you make of this? Yeah, so I think this is pretty much it for E3, very likely. Um, the thing is, is that the, 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 the purpose behind the show is the, the attendees, and yeah, I think E3, the E3 ecosystem, I think, existed for a long time where it didn't really matter if um, someone wasn't specifically at the show as long as they were doing something at the same time, which that, that they existed with that setup for a while. Um, it was pretty traditional for many of the years uh, leading up to the recent hiatus that, um, you know, you'd have E3, but... Uh, Nintendo wouldn't attend, but they would do something during the same week, um, which that 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 works for them. It means that people have their eyes on uh, the event itself, and people associate what's going on during that week with E three, regardless of whether it's on the show floor or not. Um, the issue that they're having is even now now that um, you know th there's basically a vacuum, so even if a bunch of companies pull out of E3 and they do their own thing during the same week of the show, uh, it's way too lopsided in, in the sense that there's no, there's no one actually at the event. Um, 
but it's it's double bad for them because a lot of these companies are pulling out completely and not even doing something at the same time. They're doing something later. They're doing something during uh, the rival Summer Games Fest. Um, so really, you're you're looking at this, and you know I feel bad for them. I I uh, you know I was really kind of rooting for for a return. Um, you know, I still think the show has a purpose. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's an event for people to get excited for, uh, for big, big reveals. It really is like the, the biggest show or was for the longest time, the biggest show in the gaming industry for, uh, learning out, learning, uh, what's coming up. Um, and, you know, without attendees, especially big ones, then you're really looking at, um, you know, who can they get? And if it's basically just smaller, indie studios then you know you might as well be watching packs um not that there's anything wrong with that but it, it it's not it's not the same as e3 it's not what people are expecting so unless they can convince some of these companies to change course which at this point i don't think is probably going to happen then i i just don't see them coming back especially because they had a, a hiatus um you know they took a year off they uh you know, we were talking before the show, um, they tried doing an online thing and it didn't really quite work. So this was really it. This was their, their moment to bring, bring everything back. And because they got kind of committed to it, um, they don't, there really isn't a second chance. I mean, if they try to do this next year, you know, what are the chances that anybody changes their mind and, uh, decides that they want to attend E3? I think this is, um, unfortunately i think this is probably it yeah it's it's very difficult because you know we're hearing things that it is um the lowest rates for floor space that they've seen and you know the the problem with it is that there's always a fine line between value and giving it away and you know, you got to wonder if at some point, if they even literally went to some big players and said, look, you know, meet us halfway. We're already slashing the thing to the bone. What's it going to take to get you in the building? And, you know, as I, I said on radio the other day, a lot of people will say it comes down to money. And yes, it always does come down to money in some form. But as I also pointed out, there have been a lot of people in the industry who said that one of the things that they had become very uh, used to is that the pressure to have something at E3 is gone because everybody in the industry knew that that was the date that everybody was going to be looking to see what you had. All of your competition is rolling stuff out there. You did not want to be the one who didn't look you know, you remember we used to debate, they would have all that who won and who lost E3. And I would say, well, you know, it's kind of a stupid thing to say because you can't win something based on an unreleased game, especially when we see things that are announced that never come to pass. And so that being said, I do know, because I, I did work in the gaming industry, and I do remember many years ago, the pressure as they would, you know, load up these back before the consoles really took over. I remember being at Sierra and they were loading up these uh, PCs with like state-of-the-art video cards uh, that were literally just on the market to get the stuff down there um, so they could show the games on the best possible hardware. And I remember there was a lot of pressure because they wanted to make sure the game looked good. 
you wanted to make sure it ran well on the system. And that was, you know, from a company that had quite a, re a good reputation and quite an archive of titles. So you can see if you're like a company sitting here going, um, you know, uh, you know, let's take Ubisoft, for example. Let's let's play the game. There's some people, Justin, that say, well, you know, we had the cancellation, uh, excuse me, the delay of Skull and Bones. They don't really have anything that we know of that is ready to release anytime soon. Perhaps it was a simple case of they weren't going to get involved in a show and set up all these displays all over the place if they did not have the product in a what they felt comfortable situation for hands-on gaming. You know, it's easier for them to just say, here's another trailer, enjoy. Or here's some gameplay that is essentially edited, cut, trial and error to get a really good picture of it versus, okay, let's let the people get hands-on. There's some saying that was the big problem. There's just so much pressure that you have to have something viable and exciting by this date. And in many cases, some of them, I mean, they don't all begin production at the same time. They don't all have the same uh, path, good and bad, to a state. And, you know, a lot of people said that just the pressure to have your stuff ready to show was a nightmare and it's a lot easier to just say you know what august september well you know we have it ready then we'll show it then what do you make of that no i think there's definitely something to that you know i think um there was always a risk with e3 right so um it was a major risk reward um uh, that could really pay off uh well and it did for a lot of companies you know you go into e3 and you um you show off this you know, stellar trailer and you get all the headlines and everybody's talking about your game. Uh, and uh, especially if you've got something playable, you know, people play it, you know, you just, you start your marketing for your game. Um, and it just, you know, it, it carries the game forward. You know, there's, there are all sorts of games that got revealed at E3, uh, many, you know, E3s over uh, many years that, um, you know, people were talking about the game months after the reveal. Um, you know, it could carry the conversation forward for um, for many months until the next big, uh, you know, uh, event later in the year where you could, you know, show a, a more up-to-date, maybe, you know, you show off some gameplay. Um, it, it used to be a really big deal, but on the flip side of that, there were also a lot of companies that their reveal for their game was either overshadowed by something else or it fell flat. You know, someone, you know, they might show off a game um, and uh, it just underwhelms, you know, people are like, Oh, this doesn't look good. It looks buggy, whatever, you know, uh, it became a meme for, um, for many years, you know, uh, about some of the demos that got shown at E3 um, especially, you know, pretty, you know, I don't mean to, uh, throw shade at, at Ubisoft. I, I do in, I legitimately enjoy a lot of their games, but, um, they did get, uh, you know, some negative, um, uh, I would say some negative memes about them over the years because of the, the, the sheer differences between what they would show at E3 versus, um, what they would show or, or what the game would release like later. Um, and that's you know, true for many companies. That is true for many companies. That, yeah, and that's but it, it it loops back in exactly what you're saying, where you know the the pressure to 
to really perform well at E3, I think lead led a lot of companies into um, these kinds of situations where, you know, they might make basically a vertical slice that is very different than what the end, what the end result actually ends up being, um, which, which can be a, definitely a negative thing. And people do notice, uh, I think the way it's kind of shifted is that a lot of these companies have kind of figured out that they can show the, their games on their own time. Um, that's, that's really probably the main factor that's killed E3 um, is the fact that a lot of these companies have figured out that they can pretty much control their narrative uh, if they can you know, produce basically a Nintendo Direct type uh, event um, just on a random weekend uh, or weekday uh, where no one else is talking about anything, and then they become the, the the subject of conversation. They can show off their demo when they're ready. Um, it's just a lot safer for them, I think, instead of uh, you know uh, basically getting ready for for one particular event. And as I pointed out on radio, that is very true because the pandemic required that. That being said, from a media standpoint, it's not preferable because you. Seeing the game up close, seeing the props, getting to take the photos, getting to feel the excitement. I mean, that was huge. Being able to stand there and watch other people play it uh, before or after you played it. Listening to what they said about it, listening to the comments, the excitement of it. Or, um, you know, in some cases, getting to have the developer right there and being able to ask them questions and, you know really dig into it was a huge thing. I mean, I remember when I first started going to E3, there was not a lot of hands-on stuff. You would, you know, if you get a booth invite, you come out there and they would have some hands-on things, but they were like games that had already been released or were about to be released. And they would take you into a, like a little private theater in the inner area of their booths. And they would show you these things. And I still remember seeing, you know, Elder Scrolls and seeing this very elaborate, video for it and then they would take you out on the floor and you know within a couple of years of that it was now we're going to come out and we're going to show you the video then we're going to let you go play the game and that you know became a standard it became not just hey what is about to come out but we would go in there and play games big name games that were still months away from release uh, and that became more and more common you know we used to have the running joke that E3 was where you went to learn about the game, but PAX West is where you went to, at the time was PAX West, not PAX Prime. That's where you went to get hands-on, because that was a few months later. E3 was in June, PAX was in September, and that's when you would often get your playable build, because that was when the general public was there, and you wouldn't take them into a little private screening area. You know, they would have some of those, but mainly that was a hands-on thing. And I think what happened was, and Michael and I, you and I have talked about this, was that companies looked around and said, gee, it really hasn't hurt our sales. Um, you know, I, I used to say, um, to take a big game to um, crash in order to potentially get people back. You know, the, the whole I. Um, the whole idea of, well, you know, this was supposed to be a really big hit, 
but it didn't. And, you know, boy, uh, gee, this is supposed to be massive. Like, for example, um, I'm just going to spit through a few games that came out. Halo Infinite, you know, that kind of had some people confused over the multiplayer aspect. Saint Row, uh, Saints Row was buggy. Um, you know, we, we had that whole situation with, um, uh, we talked about the Callisto Protocol. You know, that was a heavenly hyped game that uh, didn't meet sales expectations. Overwatch 2 didn't do as well as people hope. Yes, it's free to play, but, uh, you know, there you go. Babylon's Fall, Gotham Knights had some uh, people, you know, questioning, okay, uh, Diablo Immortal didn't get the launch that they had hoped. Um, you know, uh, Rainbow Six Extraction, I enjoyed it. I thought it was quite well. Uh, but you get the idea. There were games that did not meet what the expectations were. And you almost have to sit there and say, okay, if, if there was an E3 where these things were on hand, would things have gone better? And, you know, that's the trick. You have to play the risk and reward of saying, how much is it going to cost for us to stick these in front of players? You know, uh, we can also mention Destroy All Humans 2 Reprobe, Sonic Origins. Um, you know, you can sit there and say, this is it. We are here. We're trying to get these things out in front of people. Uh, but they did not meet expectations. So what do you make of that, Justin? Yeah, it's it's a it's a multifaceted situation, and that's kind of what's interesting about it is that um, you know just like with anything, there's there's it's pretty complicated. So there's a lot of variables at play. Um, you know, a lot of these games. So just to pick one out of uh, the many examples, so uh, Cluster Protocol. Um, you know, the at the end of the day, the game itself does have to deliver. Um, for the hype to be worth it, you know, and the the hype can definitely help with uh, pushing like pre-order sales and definitely push like, you know, initial like first day sales, first week sales. But if uh, the general um, conversation about the game, the general reception is fairly negative or mixed, then uh, obviously that's going to start, you know, eating into sales very quickly. Um, you know, and ETH the marketing of the game is definitely a huge part of that. So um, from my understanding, the Callisto protocol was selling very well uh, up to its release. I don't really know what it's done since release, but um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, the marketing definitely um, had, had, had a major effect on, on uh, uh, all of the sales leading up to to its release, and may, maybe it, is a saving grace. And E three or the, the 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 reveal of the game is one piece of that. You know, the cluster protocol was revealed at um, years ago. It was revealed years ago, but I, it was at an event. I I want to say it was at one of the um, VGA awards um, in the winter. Um, and you know the thing is, is that 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 show, the the both Gamescom and the VGAs, um, kind of function the way E three used to function. So it does show that that is still a viable way to reveal a game or a viable way to reveal a new trailer for a game. Because 
you know, let's be honest, the reason people, most people tune into the VGAs is for the big reveals, um, yep. which, which basically goes to show that that model can still work. It can still be a variable that's at play um, because I, there's nothing that's ever going to just invalidate the fact that if you are, if you go to a big event with a lot of people in it and you knock your presentation out of the park and everyone is talking about your game, then that is invaluable to the marketing campaign for the game's success. Um, that's just always going to be true. It's it's really mostly the politics behind, you know, who's running these, these shows and what kind of deals they can make uh, and the timing um, that really is, is uh, a major factor into the decision of whether these shows happen or not. Yeah, and I was kind of looking through some of the anticipated games, and it's kind of interesting because you, you sit there and you go, boy, you know, some of these, um, Alan Wake 2, Armored Core 6, Assassin's Creed Mirage. Now, there's kind of like a prime example of, I'm sure it'll be at the Ubisoft Forward, but, you know, people probably would have liked to have a look at that in hands-on, and if they had had Avatar, for, you know, Frontiers of Pandora, that would have been something interesting. Um, I, I may be wrong on this, but I don't think Dead Island is exactly lighting up, uh, you know, the anticipation. I know it's coming out in April, but um, it, it, you know, it went from being very, oh, it's finally coming out. You know, uh, here, here's a prime example. Uh, Destiny 2 Lightfall has not been getting uh, very good uh, reviews. A lot of people have not been thrilled about that. Um, you know, we've got Final Fantasy. Okay, that's going to be, that's going to be big. That's going to go. Uh, you had Hogwarts Legacy, which ended up selling really well. But, you know, you, you do have to sit there and wonder what is going to be the big game that uh, maybe doesn't hit. Um, there was one for the PlayStation, Justin, and I'm drawing a blank on me. I, I want to say that spell in its name. And it was the one where you run around and uh, cast spells and stuff like that. And it's not the Harry Potter one, but there was, uh, um, there is one. Uh, and that, you know, met, didn't meet expectations. And then we also said, you know, look at Suicide Squad versus uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. There's a prime example of a game that's had some bad publicity based on some online trailers. And we've heard it's being, um, delayed but it's not being reworked and you could kind of just sit there and wonder what would happen if they put the thing out in front of people i mean we know it's a risk reward but that might be the easiest way to shut people up who are sitting here saying boy this thing looks terrible it stinks it stinks and all of a sudden hey you know what we sat down and we played it and it's actually kind of fun mm -hmm. yeah so hard to say well I want to make sure that we swing back to some more positive news, and we got some uh, Deadpool 3 news in that I think you'll really enjoy, and that uh, basically Blind Owl and Dopinder will both be back in Deadpool 3. So I think that's really good. I couldn't imagine, um, couldn't imagine Deadpool 3 without Blind Owl and her sarcastic wisdom, and of course Dopinder and his... Uh, Taxi driving, I want to be a super a vigilante uh, skills. So, what do you make of that, Justin? No, that's good. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Well, I guess what I'm interested in is seeing um, how different you know the movies might be under um, 
you know, under Disney versus Fox. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad that to hear that uh, a lot of the same cast are going to make it in, though. Yeah. And it's interesting, too. I wanted to mention out, uh, we won't go heavily into this, because I want to save this for another time uh, when Michael can go into it. But uh, first off, we've got all this uh, news, and no surprise at all, of Star Trek Strange New World Season 3. Um, with Discovery wrapping up, we're hearing rumors about uh, spinoff shows might be announced. And then, of course, we're going to have more seasons of Star Trek Lower Decks and, of course, Prodigy. And then come, came the news that kind of floored me that um, there's some talk that, uh, you know, nothing set yet, but at least discussions of a reboot of or a continuation of the X-Files. And it was very interesting because apparently Ryan Kogler, who uh, was involved with Creed, Black Panther, and apparently, according to Chris Carter, he wants to remount the X-Files with a diverse cast. And, uh, you know, Carter said he's got his work cut out for him because we covered so much territory. And, of course, nobody knows if it's going to be a sequel to the series. Will Duchovny and Anderson, you know, be involved in any way, shape, or form. She has kind of indicated that she was done and ready to move on and that sort of thing. But what do you make of that? No, that is interesting. You know, I, I think there is definitely a place for the X-Files, uh, you know, and there hasn't really been a lot in the franchise as of recently. So I think there is a good opportunity there to kind of uh, take it and kind of do something new and fresh with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the final thing I wanted to talk about with you, Justin, is the news out of D.C. And uh, I don't know if you heard, um, you know how we talked about how it doesn't always seem like D.C. has a plan and how things are just kind of going along one way, but then they seem to go another way and that sort of thing. And then, of course, we had James Gunn is supposedly right at the ship and he's, you know, got the direction and everything's going forward. And then Shazam comes out and utterly bombs at the box office. But, of course, you can't pin that on him because that was in the works before he took over. Well, now we're getting some interesting news. And this one is really, really crazy that um, Mike Flanagan, who was involved with Dr. Sleep, which was the sequel to The Shining, and Midnight Mass has reportedly gone to D.C. and pitched a film about the Batman villain Clayface. Now, what's really interesting about this is that it hasn't been greenlit, but they also haven't said no at this point. And apparently, the idea was that he met with James Gunn and Peter Safran about the project, and it would be a standalone, uh, like the Joker, off in its own little universe, not part of the... Uh, directly connected one but the crazy thing is they want the uh the pitch was that clayface is actually a good guy with it being a horror leaning tragedy well one of the problems is um word is matt reeves is uh very heavily into his batman sequel preparation that is due in october 3rd 2025 and uh supposedly clayface is going to be part of this one so um for the studio that's not against having two Batman and uh, uh, other confusing conundrums like that, could you actually see them being willing to do a standalone film that takes a villain and makes him heroic 
while at the same time they're prepping another film that will feature the same character with a different look as a villain. No, that wouldn't surprise me. Now, I think that would unfortunately undermine kind of their intent behind James Gunn taking over and kind of streamlining everything. You know, I think there's a certain level of understanding that as they transition to James Gunn's version of the the DC cinematic universe, that there's going to be, it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy transition, right? Because a lot of these projects are still ongoing and uh, a lot of them are still in the works. Um, But I feel like the point of putting him in charge of everything is is to basically right the ship and, um, you know, make everything consistent, which which is something that uh, I feel like this would undermine if they, uh, you know, I think it's something they did talk about when, when he was um, revealing his plans for DC movies. He did say that Matt Reeves' Batman movies would kind of continue on their own and they would be kind of self-contained. Uh, while everything else would kind of cont- would b- basically be streamlined into one kind of coherent universe, uh, this you know I don't really think is a great idea. I'm I'm just as a, even a movie by itself. I'm I'm a little, I've always been skeptical of the idea of doing a movie about a villain. Um, now obviously it worked for the for Joker, but uh, the Joker is a very complicated character, um, and you know, they took a very kind of risky, it's, it's just a risky move just in general to try to center a movie on a, on a, on a villain. Um, and obviously it, it, you know, again, it, it did pay off for the Joker, They but they took an approach to it that was, uh, um, very, they took a very smart approach to that movie and it, and it ended up, obviously it paid off, but, uh, Clayface is not nearly as well known as the Joker. He's not nearly as popular uh so i'm a little skeptical i mean um, unless uh the unless the premise really is uh particularly compelling and interesting um that said i do like him as a villain so uh you know if if he is the the, the primary antagonist for matt reeves's uh batman sequel then you know i'm all for that i mean i i liked the batman um you know i like matt reeves as a director so if clayface ends up being the primary villain in that movie, you know, I, I am in favor of that, but you know, as a move, I would think this would probably end up being a mistake, uh, and would probably undermine their plans for, um, making this cinematic universe, um, consistent and make sense. Couldn't agree more. And that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Hope you have a very safe week. Take care. And we'll be back to talk to you again next week until then. Have a great one.